Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. When it comes to scheduling and workout planning, I think it's really important to cultivate intuition over a regimented schedule because the process of fitness is dynamic. It happens in fits and starts. It's not, you're not a robot. The breakthrough workout is a workout that's difficult and challenging enough to stimulate a fitness breakthrough. So you can have all kinds of consistent patterns and get to the gym three times a week, every week for 27 weeks in a row, or average 43 miles per week with your running when you're training for a marathon. But if you don't have those breakthrough workouts in there, those ones that approximate the incredible challenge on race day, the ones that push you to uh, break through to a higher fitness level, and of course are always paired by sufficient rest and recovery and easy workouts, that should be the centerpiece of your training. Get into that positive, happy mindset and then manifest your dreams into reality, especially uh, calling wealth and abundance into your scene. Let's talk about ancestral supplements. If you're into ancestral health, primal paleo, keto, you know the importance of consuming these unique agents contained in bone marrow, in the nose-to-tail organ meats, liver, kidney, all that stuff, the great bone broth benefits. Well, how's it going? For me, since years ago when Dr. Kate Shanahan asserted the importance of these wonderful nutritional benefits that you can't get elsewhere, eh, not too good. I don't know how to cook a liver or a kidney, but now your problems are solved forever when you go to ancestralsupplements.com, a wonderful company filled with people who are living the dream, walking their talk, and bottling up the purest, cleanest sources of grass-fed organ meats, kidney, liver, bone marrow, all in these wonderful capsules. I dump them in my smoothie every day. I'm healthy. I don't have to worry. It's an incredible dietary boost. And this is so different from swallowing a bunch of those synthetic vitamins and those giant bottles from the big box stores, highly questionable health practice. This stuff is the real deal. Grass-fed organ meats, pure as can be, ancestralsupplements.com. Ow! Welcome to a Q&A show. Ow! On... The Get Over Yourself Podcast. Hi, listeners. Thank you to those who wrote in getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughtful questions, comments, feedback, and success stories. I particularly enjoy hearing real people out there listening since, mind you, I'm recording this show in a very small recording studio slash hall closet disconnected from other humans. And what's especially cool is hearing from people around the world. Oh my gosh, the power of the modern digital age and the exchange of information so smoothly and efficiently. We're all connected here on the podcast. And our first question comes from David. Hey, Brad. Great job on the podcast. I caught up 
on my Thanksgiving break driving to Auburn, Alabama. I listened to several shows. I don't know where you're driving from, but I guess you had a long drive over to Auburn, Alabama. Very insightful information. Uh, I'm working on my recovery and adaptation in other parts of my life. And I got a question, man. You once said that on the top 20 list of important things for endurance athletes, the actual workouts and the scheduling of workouts was ranked number 17 or 18. I was being flippant, but uh, I actually love to get into this point. I love that question. Can you please give me some insight, David says, on what other stuff we should be looking at b- before uh, the workout scheduling and all that nonsense? Of course, it's important to plan the right workouts and uh, approximate the challenge of your race goals and training. But yeah, if you don't have your shit together and your life all straightened out and good practices in place away from the actual workouts, you are going to struggle. So thanks, David Pritchett. Well, let's go. I'm going to throw off some of the top of my head. Number one, sleep. Come on. If you're not getting adequate sleep, you are compromising your progress in all manner of peak performance goals, both cognitive in the workplace, studying, what have you, as well as physical, athletic. So we want to prioritize sleep. And the best way, simplest way to do that is to minimize artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. As simple as that, is you want to have a more mellow evening experience than our historical example that's getting worse and worse with each passing day as mobile devices take over uh, our lives and turn us into part robots. Remember that great insight from Elon Musk when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and uh, Rogan asked him if he was concerned about any dangers or negative implications of artificial intelligence growing and growing in the future and uh, taking over uh, human life. And Elon Musk said, well, you know, we're already uh, robots today because we have every fact ever known to the history of mankind at our fingertips in our hands here with this phone. And uh, it was a profound insight because uh, it's so different than uh, our previous experience as humans, where we were collections of knowledge and insights and opinions. And yes, we had to work hard to go learn more information, uh, digging through the encyclopedia that we uh, couldn't check out at the library, had to be there at the table looking for the M&N book and the, the facts and information we wanted to learn about uh, the, the mountain range that uh, borders Afghanistan and Pakistan. And now we have every fact ever known to mankind. It's kind of scary. Many, many good attributes about that. Uh, but one of the horribly destructive ones is that it's interfering with our circadian rhythms to have this constant technology available and these artificial light emitted from emitted from screens and from uh, light bulbs in the house. So mellow evenings for an athlete especially. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near-infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes, and there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation. 
where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. How about uh, number two on the list is your stress management. How are you doing with your stress rest balance in life? There are many forms of stress to the body these days, uh, workplace stress, relationship stress, and of course the physical stress of training. But these all must count on the same side of the balance scale. The scales of justice, you know, when you envision the, uh, the the Statue of Liberty type lady, it's not the Statue of Liberty, but the scales of justice, justice is blind, and there's two sides. And so if we envision stress and rest, uh, we have a lot of ways to apply stress. A lot of times we get uh, uh, sorely mistaken thinking that a workout is a great, quote, stress release from the pressures of the uh, office setting and those kinds of stresses. But in reality, they're just different forms of stresses. They both stimulate the sympathetic nervous system function, the fight or flight. So we have to figure out ways to tone down, unplug, unwind, especially as an athlete, uh, mix in your athletic goals with uh, hectic modern life and other life responsibilities. Uh, let's go. How about um, a healthy perspective on setting goals? So uh, a lot of endurance athletes I've worked with over time uh, spit out uh, some incredible ambitious goal like I want to do uh, the Ironman uh, triathlon or I want to run an ultra, I want to run 50 miles, or I want to run 100 miles. And by the way, I have three kids, I run my own business, and I commute for an hour a day, and they're piling on uh, too much, uh, creating an imbalanced life, 
uh, with an unhealthy goal perspective, perhaps driven by uh, marketing and consumerism forces, because the people that are uh, advocating the Ironman as the end-all accomplishment in triathlon uh, are building their brand rather than looking out for your healthy life balance with other things that you do. So maybe you can shift your goals to something that's more appropriate, age-appropriate, lifestyle-appropriate. And I kind of hit that theme a lot when I talk about my uh, my speed golf goals and my trying for the Guinness World Record and how that brings out uh, my competitive passion, my competitive intensity. It's something that I never want to let go for the rest of my life. But this is certainly different than having an all-consuming, all-encompassing, physically exhausting uh, journey on the professional triathlon circuit when I was a young man. That would be a completely stupid thing to contemplate at this point in my life. Okay, so healthy goal perspective. Uh, you also want to have a supportive uh, family, community, training partners, environment. So whatever goals you're pursuing, if you don't have 100% buy-in, from your wife, your kids, your husband, uh, your uh, elderly people that you're taking care of, whatever's going on in your life, your true core responsibilities, if that's not supportive, it's if, if it's in conflict with that, then we got some real problems because there's going to be negative energy coming into the mix. And I also see this quite often uh, in the extreme endurance scene where people are doing high hour time consumption endeavors that's taking them away from perhaps perhaps uh, more important or more fulfilling responsibilities if you were to just face these issues. And sometimes it's an escape, right? So, oh my gosh, when my kids were of uh, the, uh, the the proper ages where they had an athletic experience of their own, I didn't want to miss a single thing. I wouldn't imagine doing a single workout that would take me away from soccer practice. Thankfully, I was the coach, so I had to be there. Uh, but I love to absorb every bit of that because it was over with so quickly. And there's, <laughs> you know, the races will always be there uh, when you're ready. So there doesn't have to have that sense of urgency that you're missing out on all these more important things in life. Uh, so that, that would be a supportive uh, situation, supportive environment. And then uh, when it comes to scheduling and workout planning, I think it's really important to cultivate intuition over a regimented schedule because the body, the process of fitness is dynamic. It happens in fits and starts. It's not, you're not a robot. And so we have to always keep that intuitive uh, sense of what's the right thing to do every day at the forefront of our training decisions rather than looking at a schedule that perhaps you purchased from uh, an expert or looked into a book and it tells you what to do every day. I know a lot of us are drawn to that type of approach because it gives you that certainty and that ego gratification that you're accomplishing something and you're meeting your stated goals, but they might be in conflict with your well-being and your health. And that's how people get overtrained and injured by adhering to a schedule that they didn't uh, need to or shouldn't have. Um, then uh, going down, another thing I would add on the list, more important than uh, some consistent scheduling pattern is that you just accomplish some breakthrough workouts as Mark Sisson coined the term, let's see, uh, 32 years ago. Uh, the breakthrough workout is a workout that's difficult and challenging enough to stimulate a fitness breakthrough. So you can have all kinds of consistent patterns and get to the gym three times a week, every week for 27 weeks in a row, or average 43 miles per week with your running when you're training for a marathon. But if you don't have those breakthrough workouts in there, those ones that approximate the incredible challenge on race day, the ones that push you to uh, 
breakthrough to a higher fitness level, and of course are always paired by sufficient rest and recovery and easy workouts, that should be the centerpiece of your training rather than the uh, obsession with schedule. And of course, we also want to have uh, what I'll call um, uh, supportive lifestyle practices, such as a commitment to flexibility, mobility, injury prevention. Uh, look on YouTube, Brad Kern's morning routine. It's going viral, baby. It's got a lot of views. I can't believe it. Thank you, uh, whoever's watching. Uh, and this is something that I'm proud to say into the microphone that I do every single morning of my life without fail now on a streak that has passed three years. In fact, a couple times when I missed due to, let's say, an early morning flight or something, uh, I doubled up to make up for it. So I'm on the streak. And what I do is just this uh, routine on the ground where I'm doing a good core exercise and also working my hip flexors, hamstrings, and uh, building my overall fitness base so that when I do a proper workout session, I can launch from a higher fitness platform because I have this commitment to uh, morning flexibility, mobility drills. It's helped a lot and it takes me 12 minutes. I thought it was five minutes. And then when we filmed it to put it on YouTube, it actually took 12. So anyway, the first 12 minutes of my day every day are uh, we counted as a supportive lifestyle practices that's going to uh, help my fitness goals. You could put a whole bunch of recovery strategies in there as well, uh, such as a commitment to foam rolling, uh, whatever else it is that you're doing, such as temperature therapy, hot sauna, cold plunge, which I'm such a big fan of. Uh, so those things are are pretty darn important too. And then uh, probably should be slided up higher on the list right right there with sleep would be diet and cleaning up your diet. And I think what we see in contrast quite often is the extreme calorie burning athlete, whether it's CrossFit or endurance scene, triathlon, long distance running, a lot of times, a lot of junk leaks into the picture in diet seemingly because the athlete uh, gives him or herself a free pass to consume those extra calories because they're burning so many calories. But here's the deal. Your nutritional needs are heightened due to your athletic pursuits. So while we do give the free passes out and the athletes are fond of slamming the pizza and beer and the hot fudge sundaes or whatever to sort of celebrate uh, the great efforts and the great commitment to calorie burning, uh, it would be a great idea to prioritize nutrient density to support your athletic goals and make sure that you cover those bases and have an extremely nutrient-dense diet, perhaps even more so than the slob next to you in the next cubicle who doesn't exercise and fuels themselves on fast food all day. Uh, you might not get as fat as the next person who doesn't burn any calories, but you're going to fall short and you're going to put yourself into high risk for disease patterns, breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. You need that good food. So how many was that, David? Uh, I said sleep. I said good stress management practices in life. I said a uh, healthy perspective about goal setting rather than that uh, imbalance or that instant gratification or doing goals that are too daunting for your lifestyle. That's three. Number four, I said supportive uh, family, community, and training partners. Number five, I said cultivate an intuitive approach. Uh, more important than adhering to a fixed written schedule. Uh, number six, get those breakthrough workouts in there and emphasize those or prioritize those. Uh, number seven, throw in the supportive lifestyle practices like my flexibility mobility drills that I do every day and then optimize your diet. So that's eight things uh, on the list that come before the actual workouts and the scheduling of the workouts. Whew. Okay, Ward writes in, a long time ago. Sorry, guys. Thanks for um, being patient. 
Uh, thanks for the podcast, Brad. I want to throw in my two cents on sleep, says Ward. I've continued to have disturbed sleep. Despite going keto, carnivore, fixing up my sleep hygiene, my sleep patterns, and I figured out it was my gut keeping me awake. Typically, I have a big breakfast like a ribeye, a big lunch like a pound of grass-fed hamburger, some salmon and egg yolks, and that's around 1 p.m., and then seven to eight slices of bacon before 3 p.m., and I sleep great. So he's getting his last food in and his main food's coming in the morning. The last food's coming around 3 p.m. And I'm sleeping better than I have in years. If I get sloppy and eat something around 6 or 7 p.m., then my sleep is disrupted. I don't know if this is just me, but the timing of eating has been magical for me. Thank you for the great podcast regards, Ward. And oh boy, you're certainly onto something there. And the research of Dr. Panda at UC San Diego has exposed this really nicely, that we have a digestive circadian rhythm that lines up with our circadian rhythm in general, our uh, light and dark cycles, our sleep and wake cycles. So it's very, very important to give the digestive system a break every day so that you can allow the other healing, repair, and regenerative processes to take priority. And of course, the best time for that is at nighttime while you're sleeping. So uh, eating food after dark disrupts your digestive circadian rhythm in the same manner that blasting your eyeballs with artificial light after dark disrupts your circadian rhythm. So we want to find uh, Dr. Panda's research advocating that you consume your calories and operate your digestive system in a maximum window of 12 hours per day. So in other words, you turn on your digestive clock at 8 a.m. and finish by 8 p.m. and never uh, outside that maximum window. Of course, we have a lot of talk in the ancestral health community about uh, eating in a compressed time window. Mark Sisson, a uh, big fan of this, and it generally uh, consumes all of his calories between 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. So he's on an 18-hour fasting uh, pattern and a six-hour uh, eating window. Another important thing to understand when we're talking about this digestive circadian rhythm is that any xenobiotic substance will turn on digestive function even if it doesn't have calories. So anything that requires digestion and processing uh, is going to count on your clock. And that was a huge uh, revelation for me because uh, I might be having a, a... a cup of herbal tea at seven in the morning, not eating, I'm fasting till noon or whatever. And then I might have a few squares of dark chocolate at 9.30 p.m. or what have you. And so I'm outside that 12-hour digestive function window, even though my calories perhaps were only eaten between uh, 12 noon or whenever I started eating uh, and then into my final couple squares of dark chocolate or whatever. So I had a, a a devoted effort to tighten that up, realizing that even something as simple as herbal tea or swallowing vitamin pills or anything of that nature is turning on that digestive clock. Hey, ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function. And maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for her. 
As with the male Gainswave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gainswave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, so please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. And speaking of that in the morning, uh, the research is suggesting that it's not a bad idea to turn on that digestive clock in the morning when you want to start operating at peak function, peak cognitive, peak physical function, when you want your energy. It doesn't necessarily mean consume calories. So maybe you feel like a fasting pattern is better for you where you're waiting till 12 noon to consume any calories. Maybe you're one of those people that uh, wants a high fat beverage in the morning, which of course gives you calories and turns on your digestive function. Uh, but I'll do so something as simple as, uh, let's say, having a drink of a kombucha, one quarter kombucha, three quarters water. Uh, so something's going on and my digestive tract has been uh, triggered to turn on and get my energy levels going. So you can uh, try that as a strategy, but respect that 12-hour window. Okay, good job, Ward. Way to uh, prioritize your caloric intake to support sleep. Here's Felix. I just heard about the poor guy with vitiligo. That's a pigment producing, the pigment producing cells stop producing melanin and lighten up out of sync with the surrounding skin. Uh, so Michael Jackson uh, was a prominent sufferer of that. And you can probably reference, um, the uh, the skin condition with some familiarity. Uh, Dr. Gundry, in his book, The Plant Paradox, goes into detail, and he is pretty darn sure that vitiligo is caused by an intolerance to lectins. Very well. The listener who wrote in uh, complaining about that uh, might have increased his consumption of nightshades while doing keto. So nightshades are the group of plants uh, that have that distinctive color, eggplant, tomato, things in that family, nightshade family. And it turns out that a lot of people uh, are sensitive to them. And so uh, the elimination of nightshades, that's part of the FODMAP diet where you're eliminating uh, certain plant foods that you may be reactive to, uh, has resulted in great success for people, especially with mysterious inflammatory conditions, especially relating to skin conditions. So I've engaged with several people that 
have a very frustrating uh, psoriasis that can't be cured by drugs or uh, by typical uh, traditional approaches and have achieved success doing uh, radical things like trying the carnivore diet. Dr. Paul Saladino uh, references patient success with long-term conditions like psoriasis. Uh, other people are talking about how uh, irritable bowel, fibromyalgia, inflammatory or autoimmune conditions can be improved when they... Um, when the suffering is just too much and you're finally willing to try a dietary intervention, some great successes have been reported out there. So what do you have to lose? Not much. And it's funny because uh, I've just, in recent times, uh, come across two people where the idea was floated out there that, hey, maybe you would, might even want to try uh, a carnivore diet for 30 days because these people are healing miraculously. You can look at meatheals.com and see all these success stories or listen to Michaela Peterson on the Joe Rogan Show talk about her transformation in health, uh, extreme health problems that immediately transformed when she eliminated all plant foods. It turns out a lot of people are reactive to, uh, to the anti-nutrients contained in all manner of uh, fruits, vegetables, seeds, grains. So exclusionary diets, uh, pretty pretty good strategy for long-term sufferers. But I've heard recently uh, of two people that don't even want to try a dietary modification. They're just not interested. So I guess I'm going to conclude they'd rather suffer with these horrible conditions that they've had for so long, uh, thinking that the diet is not going to matter, possibly influenced by uh, someone in the medical profession that, that discounted the uh, importance or the uh, association of diet to psoriasis, diet to irritable bowel, colitis, what have you. So, you know, think what you want. Uh, form your beliefs and uh, spout them to the world. But I feel like it's worth trying something, right? Especially when you have tremendous anecdotal evidence that people are healing from crazy stuff by changing their diet. Okay, that's my pitch for the day. How about that? Okay, next. Hey, Brad, thanks for all the great work on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for writing in. My question is, how do I, the middle-aged novice trainee, reconcile two diametrically opposed viewpoints like the primal endurance versus Brian McKenzie's CrossFit endurance? I've studied both, and it seems like I can't have it both ways. Or are they more similar than I think they are? Does it come down to N equals 1? Okay, well, that's a great topic. Uh, it's been uh, bantered about extensively in the endurance community. So just to set the stage, and I did a great podcast with Brian McKenzie early on, early in the archive. So go look for that one. And Brian's the guy who popularized the CrossFit endurance movement, applying the fundamentals of CrossFit, those explosive and varied uh, training exercises to the specific goal of endurance performance. So historically, uh, endurance athletes have trained in a pretty uh, linear and narrow manner where the marathon runner uh, is just going out there and trying to put in as many miles as possible in the straightforward exercise of running down the road. Same with the triathlete is swimming laps, pedaling their bicycle and uh, putting in miles on the road. And so we have these straightforward uh, sports that require a tremendous amount of cardiovascular endurance and uh, uh, quite a bit of muscular endurance as well. Uh, but the training has been pretty specific and narrow. And so uh, the evolution of this 
approach was to integrate things like uh, brief explosive efforts or things that were uh, considered cross-training. So if you go and look at a uh, CrossFit endurance workout model, you're going to see people aspiring to perform in a marathon or an ultra or a long-distance triathlon doing a set of box jumps or grabbing the heavy rope and doing the wiggle wiggle on the rope, working their upper body, doing pull-ups, inverted handstands, all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, what do you think happens when your system fatigues at the end of a long-distance endurance effort? So you see the marathon runners looking great at mile 4, mile 12, and then at mile 20, they're shuffling along because their hip flexors have blown out, their lower back is destabilized, everything's fallen apart, and while they still have a massive aerobic engine, they're not putting out a lot of explosive energy into each foot strike that's getting them to the finish line at the pace that they want because their muscular endurance has fallen apart. So when you are not able to preserve optimal technique for the duration of your endurance event, you are going to suffer an extreme decline in performance. And that's where these alternative training modalities might come in. Uh, So when you get to mile 20 on the marathon and that tremendous fatigue that's occurred where the muscle breakdown is occurring, uh, you can't uh, approximate that in training day after day because you can't run 20 hard miles every single day in training. But when you get into the gym and get under a loaded squat bar and do your seventh and eighth rep when your muscles are near failure point, you're kind of in a way approximating what's happening at mile 20 of the marathon. So you're getting a tremendous training effect by doing the brief explosive work that has long been neglected by endurance athletes. Okay, that's great. And now here we get to the complex part of the story. Your greatest return on investment as an endurance athlete is obviously going to be sport-specific training and improving your cardiovascular function, improving your aerobic efficiency. That's the centerpiece of the primal endurance story that's conveyed so well in the digital course and in the book is you got to build that base and become more and more efficient at burning fat such that that you can... uh, proceed at a faster and faster pace and still be in the fat burning zone. So the majority of your training should be comfortably paced in the fat burning zone conveyed by the maximum aerobic heart rate of 180 minus your age in beats per minute. So now I'm almost 55 years old. My 180 minus age magic number is 125 beats per minute. That ensures that I'm doing an aerobic exercise that emphasizes fat burning and not drifting into those anaerobic heart rates that can cause uh, easy breakdown and fitness uh, regression. So that's the centerpiece of any endurance training program. Now, where does the explosive stuff come in? Uh, A little goes a long way. And so during focus periods of your training where you're introducing this high-intensity stuff, you can de-emphasize the aerobic work and all the miles and hours that you're putting in in favor of putting in some impressive work in the gym. And they all go hand-in-hand and they go well together, especially when you follow a periodized approach, which is where you really focus on endurance for a dedicated period of time of the year, where you're just jogging, you're pedaling, you're building the base, you're not risking injury by going faster and you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then one day you're ready to introduce a high intensity phase of training where you might do shorter workouts at a faster pace and also might get into the gym and try some of this uh, novel uh, CrossFit endurance type of uh, exercise where you're, you're challenging yourself in different ways than just jogging down the road. 
So they kind of go hand in hand, or you could, if you're confused and thinking in black and white, you might think they're diametrically opposed. But the reconciliation here is that you dedicate the uh, year to different types of training emphasis, including uh, the third wheel on the tricycle, which is an emphasis on rest and recovery. So I think the big problem, the big mistake that people make is they're trying to have it all and do it all. So they're trying to keep their mileage up and then they're going in the gym and doing these crazy CrossFit endurance workouts and getting sick, getting injured, getting whatever. So you can get to burnout in all different ways. You can get there by trying to blend both uh, over distance and explosive training. You can get there by doing uh, something like a CrossFit endurance protocol too aggressively and going there four days a week instead of one or two kind of thing. Or you can get there by just doing too much mileage. And especially when you exceed aerobic heart rates, you're just going to blow yourself up. That's called chronic cardio that's been covered at length uh, in the Primal Endurance book on the primalendurance.fit website. Uh, on Mark's Daily Apple, A Case Against Cardio, the landmark post that was written, uh, what, um, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and has still uh, done a lot to um, reshape the thinking of the traditional endurance approach. All right. Thank you for that question, that lengthy reply. Okay, here's some quicker ones. A nice compliment from Holger in Munich, Germany. Love to hear from you from across the pond, man. Incredible. Thank you so much for writing. Holger says, I've just come across your podcast recently. It's really inspiring, informative, and motivating. I read a lot about nutrition myself with all the pros and cons of each kind, and it's difficult for me as an outsider to decide who is right because there seems to be so many studies proving anything and everything. Uh, Holger likes the one saying that Coke is actually healthy and sugar is only an issue for the teeth. Wow, I never heard of that one, man. That's pretty crazy. Uh, but to see you in the videos is real proof for me what really works. I'm going to do the 21-day primal reset myself. Thank you so much. All right, Holger, keep it up, man. Yeah, that is an excellent point that you can find studies that will support anything. This is why there's so much controversy around the uh, new documentary that many people criticize as being laced with propaganda, but it's backed by science, it's backed by research, and so is all kinds of commentary from the uh, diametrically opposed dietary strategy, if we want to talk about vegan versus carnivore for a moment. Both sides have tremendous support, uh, uh, success stories, and all that, but there are also uh, a tendency to uh, make logically inaccurate or flawed conclusions such as, hey, this amazing athlete just broke a record and he doesn't eat meat. So uh, this makes it healthy and optimal for peak performance. But it's perhaps possible that the athlete is succeeding despite their diet, isn't it? Yes, it is, Brad. Thank you for putting that straight. So it's really, really difficult when you have all these variables, confounding variables, to make direct conclusions and apply them to everyone. So yeah, the N equals one, that means an experiment of one is highly relevant because you have to see what works for you and you know measure very carefully as best you can uh, any, any the impact of any dietary change. Uh, meanwhile, 
that's why I like to look for common ground. And in my show with Rip Esselstyn, my old friend, my old triathlon compatriot, as you may know, he's a prominent leader in the plant-based community. So we have an extreme uh, disparity point of view about what constitutes a healthy diet. But as you listen throughout the show, uh, we also have a lot of common ground to land on. And uh, the most prominent one being that you want to get the junk food out of your diet before we start talking about the critical distinctions between uh, having a meat-based diet or having a plant-based diet. At least it's not a Slurpee-based diet, right? We can agree on that. All right, next, Brian. I want to let you know that your podcast kicks ass. What a high compliment. I've been listening for about a month now and love the content. I'm an active 27-year-old living with ulcerative colitis. Living the keto lifestyle has kept me off medication for the past eight months. That's a good little streak there, man. Hopefully it'll open up doors to uh, say goodbye to the medication forever. I'm still trying to dial in the no medication lifestyle though. That's all right. Eight months is, you know, a short time respective to uh, the rest of your life and getting off meds. So uh, your podcast hits each category of my life. It's great. Thank you so much, Brian. All right, man. People, that was a great Q&A show. Keep it up. Please participate. Send your comments to getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. Have a great day. All right. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it.